Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. so glad to be with you. Uh, It's an exciting morning for us today. Uh, Many of you know we have a team that uh, helps ACF to do what we do. We have a staff uh, that's just awesome people who love Jesus and love you guys well. And so what we wanted to start off with today is just introducing some changes that are happening on our team. And so today we are introducing Miss Britt Jacobs as our new ACF Youth Culture Director. Let's give her a hand today. And so uh, this is Britt and her wife, her wife, her husband, Dan. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a good way to start. Um, Dan's just back from a deployment. And so, uh, yeah, just very excited to have you guys on the team. And Britt's going to be doing everything ACF Youth Culture. We changed how we are uh, reaching our students last year and really changed up how we do youth group and uh, started doing a youth culture, really setting church out to be a place uh, where teenagers uh, own this church that just as much as anybody else. And so we're really excited about that. So Britt is just going to kill it. She's been on our team for a while, uh, serving in a lot of different ways, and so she'll be taking over in that. And so Josh is our new ACF janitor. Thank you very Just kidding. Now, janitors are great, but Josh is actually going to be stepping into the role of executive pastor here at ACF, and so really excited uh, for him. And so uh, what I'd love for you to do is to pray with us. In just a moment, we're going to gather around them. But as, as many of you know, ministry is hard. It takes sacrifice. And so we want to pray for their marriages, that Josh and Malia would be strong, that, the, that uh, Britt and Dan would be strong, that our relationships would be strong as couples, and, and that we could serve well together. And so that's our goal. Can we gather around them real quick? And this is your lead team, by the way, around here, in case you're wondering who these other people are. Um, so we're just going to pray for these guys and uh, ask for God's blessing on them as they step forward here. Jesus, thank you so much for the church. Thanks that uh, you would choose to use us to press forward your kingdom and to push back the darkness in this world. God, we, we, we just know that Alaska is a dark state, and God, that you'd called us to be light to the darkness. And so, God, I pray for Britt, God, that you give her great vision for the future, that you would empower her uh, to serve well and to meet teenagers where they're at. God, give her an ability to communicate in a way that makes sense to them. God, that they would gravitate to her and her leadership. And I pray for her and Dan, God, that you just strengthen their marriage uh, just as team members and teammates in the kingdom. God, that they'd serve well together and uh, that this next season would be one of encouragement as they step forward in their gifts together. We pray for Josh and Malia. Uh, just, again, blessing and uh, 
honor to their marriage here right now. I pray for Josh as he steps into this new role as executive pastor. God, I, I pray for him as a leader, that he'd uh, know how to help ACF to become all that you've called ACF to be, God, that you help him to serve well and to lead well and to just see what's coming well. And so thank you so much for him and his friendship and God, the partnership that we have. I'm just so grateful for our team. And God, just watch over all of us. We are thankful that none of us as individual individuals are leading, God, that we lead together and that we share the burden. And God, that you call us to, in every uh, person in this room, to just own the calling that you've placed on our lives. And so I pray that we'd own that in fullness and in wholeness. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give them a hand, would you? All right, all right. Thank you, Miss Wendy. This is Wendy. She's awesome, too. Give Wendy a hand. Anybody else that we want to introduce today? Just, just keep going with this. So, hey, we are in a series called God Problems. We did this same conversation last year out of Easter. And the whole goal is really to just open up the conversation. We're breaking the fourth wall here and opening up the talk between uh, whoever comes to church and who's on stage. And we've asked you to send in your questions and this series is really all about disgusting, dis disgusting, discussing your questions and uh, answering some of those things and giving some biblical principles to help understand these different topics in our culture. I'm just tongue-tied today, so pray for me. Um, but we are going to, this is going to be an interesting conversation today. It's going to be, uh, we're going to hit on a lot of different topics. If you haven't seen the insert today, today's message is called Sabbath, Cannabis, and the Kingdom of God. So pray for your pastor today. I'm covering some ground. Uh, this morning, and I really want to get into this, but here's what I want to start off with, is I know that you have questions, and I think for far too long in the church, we've just said, hey, just keep your questions to yourself, um, and, and we haven't opened up the conversation, and, and I know that everybody here, whether you are a believer in Jesus, or maybe you're a, a, a not a Christian, you're just kind of new to church, wherever you're from, that you have questions, and you need to get answers to those questions, and you need to be in the conversation, whether it be just here on Sunday morning or in, a, in an ACF life group or whatever that may be. I want you to find some answers, and I believe that Jesus wants to give you clarity. We don't want to just give you the, well, the Bible says so, so do it, or, you know, just give you these pat Christian answers. We want to give you real answers to things, and so we want to bring you to the scriptures. For us as, as believers, we believe that God's word is inspired that it actually, it applies to us today. It speaks truth to us right here in 2019. And so we, we're going to go to the scriptures. But what you're also going to see as we talk is that God actually has our best interest in mind. And in all things that he tells us to do, his heart is for us to thrive as, as people. That we would thrive as human beings uh, in our lives. And so that is the goal today as we walk into these conversations. So today we're going to start off with this first question about Sabbath. This person says, I am confused and torn, aren't we all? If God's word is everlasting and never changes, then why do we as a church disobey his word? Numbers 15, verse 32 through 36, and work on the Sabbath. So this person's question is really about what is the Sabbath? How does it apply to today? What does it mean for us here in 2019? Now, uh, not that many of you woke up today really wrestling with the theology of the Sabbath, but I want to tell you that this goes deep. I mean, it goes deep into our culture that, I mean, here today in America especially, we are taught from an early age how to burn ourselves out, right? 
We are taught just work yourself to the bone. I mean, just work, 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 die. That is that's basically it. And then you buy all this cool stuff and you never get to use it, right? I got an RV. Great. You've been on vacation once this year, right? You, and so we all have dealt with this before, this feeling that there's no margin in our lives, that we're busy, that we're constantly moving. And this person is referencing a story in Numbers. And it's a very interesting story where this man is picking up sticks on the Sabbath and then God tells his people to stone him to death. And so we're kind of, when we read things like that, we go, wow, that's pretty harsh, God. I mean, seriously, stone the man to death for picking up sticks on the Sabbath? Pretty sure I've done a lot worse than that on the Sabbath, right? I have worked on this, I've done a lot of things and not had margin in my life. And so the first thing we have to deal with is, is what this person is referencing. It's a really important, good question that, um, about, like, why does God cause this stuff to happen? Like, why, why, that seems really harsh. What we need to understand is that when God gives his law to his people, once again, it's for their betterment. It's for them to thrive, and it's for them, them to understand who God is as well. And so we need to first acknowledge as people that God is holy. And, and although we come to him so casually sometimes, we need to understand that when God says something, he actually means it. And so for, for these people, God is establishing this rhythm of, of life for these people. And the idea that this person would intentionally break the Sabbath was a rebellion against what God had told them to do. And, and so for, for God in this situation, I mean, we see, man, that's really harsh, God, but God is really protecting his people from walking into these deceptive ways of living, these things that are not good for them or for the community of God. And so um, God is really responding. What we see is harsh, but he's really protecting, I believe, his people in this situation. Um, If you read earlier in this text, he talks about accommodation for people who sin accidentally, right? Like, like I, I get the sense from this text that this man wasn't simply like, oh, look, a stick on the ground, kill him, right? That it was a situation of rebellion against the word of God. And in God's people, this was taken very, very seriously. Um, And and so for us, that's important because we like to pick and choose about God's word, don't we? Uh, If you've ever done this before, I think a lot of people do, where you open up the Bible, you choose the things you like, you throw out the things that you don't like, and that's how we go through life. When God God says, no, my word matters. What I say matters. I'm holy and I'm just. And so then we have to look at Sabbath. What is this? Where did it come from? Why did they believe that this was so important? This word Sabbath simply is a Hebrew word meaning rest. It's the, it's the Hebrew word Shabbat. And it just, it just means to take a rest. And we go to Exodus chapter 31 verse 16 to kind of understand this a little bit deeper. This is God speaking to Moses about how his people are to be distinct and different. I don't know if you know this, but God's people are just supposed to be different than the culture. We're supposed to look different. People are supposed to see different things in our lives. And it says this, the Israelites are to observe the Sabbath. So the first thing we read in this text is that it was about who? The Israelites, okay? So we have to read things within their context. What is this about? These are God's people. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he abstained from work and rested. So can we just stop for a second and soak that up? God rested. God took a break. God at the very moment of creation established a rhythm of this working six days and resting on the seventh. 
And, and so, I mean, the first thing we have to realize is God, God wasn't like worn out. Not like God was like, man, I've done a lot of creating over six days. I just need to take a break. No, God was establishing this rhythm for humanity for all of time. And so although this was written to Israel, this was part of the law, we know the Ten Commandments, that we should keep the Sabbath, right? That's written into, into the commandments of God. But it's also a commandment for us for all time that we need to be people who have a rhythm of rest in our lives. He commands them to observe it. This word observe is more than just simply take a day off but be intentional about it. How many of you guys know that um, if you want to take a day off, you actually have to do a bunch of work to plan that? That it takes a lot of effort to take a day off, otherwise you will never take a day off. You have to prepare yourself. You have to pre prepare your week. You have to get done with work, or at least get to a stopping point with work so that you can rest. Observe this special day. Almost, this word observe is like a, it's like a birthday. Like the effort that you would go into preparing to celebrate a birthday, is the same effort that you would go into preparing to rest every single week. So we're to, to rest. And he says that it will be a, a sign. Now for them, I, what did they think about this? Like what, what's the sign between them and God? See, we need to see that God actually rescues his people from slavery out of Egypt, right? So that's part of their story. And then God is going to teach them what his, their relationship with God looks like and their relationship with each other. And the way that they live will be a sign. It will be a sign of this covenant between them and God, both uh, to each other and to the world around them. And this idea of Sabbath, it's so important. You might wonder, like, what is it about? Why do we rest? I would say this Sabbath is a weekly rehearsal of our reliance on God. That's what it is. You and I are, are intended to stop every single week, just stop everything for one day a week, just take a break, and, and just rehearse our reliance on God. Just to remember who we are, to remember who God is, and to acknowledge that we are not God, and that's really important. I don't know about you, but I need to do that every week. I probably should do that every single day. It's to acknowledge that I am not God of my life. I'm not God of the world. I'm not God of my situation, that there is a God who is greater than me. So a few weeks ago, uh, my daughter, Cadence, she's 12 years old, and uh, she came up to me. I was sitting on the couch, and, and so she was just kind of in like a cuddling mood, which at, at 12 years old, I just am always excited about as a dad, because the cuddles are getting less and less and less. But she comes up to me, and she hugs me, and she like curls up in my lap. Well, she's getting tall. I mean, she's a full-on adult human being at this point. And, and so it was this, like, awkward moment of, like, my, my daughter, and I'm, like, holding her in my lap, you know. And I'm, but for me as a dad, I'm loving it, right? Because this is my little girl, and any cuddles I can get for my little girl, like, that's a good thing for a dad. And I just, I was thinking about it, man. It used to be so much easier to cuddle with her, right, when she was smaller, and, and we do it all the time. But for me in that moment, it was just a reminder that she's still my little girl and a reminder that I'm still her dad. And I just, I think that we need to do that more often, that we need to just sort of like get up into the lap of God once in a while and just to curl up with our father and be like, hey, listen, I'm not productive right now. I'm not doing anything for you. I'm not doing anything to make money, to provide for myself. I just need to be wrapped up in the arms of God for a moment to remember that I cannot handle life on my own, right? That I need a sustainer and I, I need, I need a, a father who loves me and I need to trust that he gives me everything that I need, not everything that I want but everything that I need. And that's what Sabbath is all about. It's a, it's a day a week where you could be making some money, 
You could be getting more work done, right? Where you could, and, and, and I get that sometimes people become really legalistic about this and like, well, you can't mow the lawn on the Sabbath. But for me, I love to mow the lawn on my Sabbath, right? That is like me and Jesus moments. And so it's really important that we understand. So within their context, what God was trying to do, trying to, to frame for them what it looked like to live a, lo- a rhythm of resting and working. And for us today, we are now under a different law. We're under the law of Christ, which is the law of love. And if you remember, when Jesus was asked to sum up the entire law, he says two things. You remember what they are? Love God, right? And love your neighbor as yourself, right? So that's how Jesus sums up the entire law. So now as people who are under the law of love, Sabbath may look a little different for us, but we can't write it off. We can't be like, well, in 2019, rest is just not something that's reasonable to ask of somebody, right? It's just not something that, that, that we can actually observe. In fact, for some of you, resting equals laziness. I mean, you hate resting. When you see somebody else resting, you're like, needs to get a job, right? Come on. You, you clearly don't have enough to do with your life because you're resting. I'm telling you what, like we were never created to just run and run and run and die. God didn't build us for that. And so as much as sometimes we, we push up against God's laws, we're like, man, I don't know why he's doing this. We need to understand God is protecting us. He wants to, to, to build a rhythm of life within us. We need to weekly rehearse our reliance on God. Romans 14, 5, Paul kind of speaks to this issue of the Sabbath day when he says, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So essentially he's saying, listen, it's okay if some of you are like, I Sabbath on Sunday, right? That's okay for you. If that's your big deal, like you come to church on Sunday, you rest on Sunday, that is your day to just get your brain back on track. That's fine. But we also, during the school year, have been doing a uh, Wednesday service, right? Churches do uh, church on Saturday. And beyond that, Sabbath is so much more than just church attendance, isn't it? I mean, I, I pray for you that when you get done with church on Sunday, that you go home and that you don't just get right and in back into the rhythm of running, 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 sort of, you go to church to acknowledge that God is God and I am not the Savior of my life, and then we leave church and we go act like the saviors of our lives, right? I hope that you take a day, you take more than just an hour on Sunday morning to remember that you have a God that loves you and that cares for you, that's compassionate and that's just. And we need to do that. So this man, Paul, he's speaking to a culture of people. You've got these, these Jews who probably fell into a very religious routine of Sabbath. Like some of you, Sunday's just church day. And you haven't thought about why you do that in years. And you need to. You need to spend some time figuring out, like, what is this about? What, what is this day about? What is Sabbath actually? We worship together, but what does it mean to actually rest and know that he is God, right? And then you've got these Gentiles who are working 24-7, who have no rhythm of rest in their lives. Some of you are from a non-church background, and it's weird to be stopping on Sunday morning. For you, you're just used to either working all weekend or playing all week, just going, going and going and going. And so to stop for an hour on Sunday morning and just think about who God is, that's a, that's a big move for you. So Paul's like, hey, I get it that you guys see different days as being holy. That's okay. He says you need to be fully convinced of whatever it is. In other words, you just need to be committed to what you're doing, right? In other words, you need to be consistent in it. That even when you don't feel like going to church, which some of you don't feel like being here right now, 
I'm just, I, I, I totally acknowledge that. Some of you are like, I don't want to be here. It's nice outside. I've got stuff I need to be doing. I get it. Sometimes we all wake up and don't want to take time off or don't want to gather. But Paul's like, hey, listen, you need to put yourself in a posture before God to acknowledge him as your sustainer. And you need to do it consistently in your life. You need to be fully convinced of whatever it is that you're doing as your rhythm of rest. And you need to do it consistently every week, consistently throughout your life. So I don't know what this looks like for you. Um, Maybe you need to just shut off your phone for a day. Can you imagine? When I forget my phone and I drive, I feel like a rebel, right? Like I'm going to die if I break down. I, I don't know how we made it. 20 years ago, but shut your phone off for a day. Try not, to, try not to buy anything or make any money for a day. Try that. Because this is part of the whole idea even of, of tithing. So as believers, we commit uh, the first and best 10% of what we make back to God to acknowledge once again that we are not our own gods. We don't sustain ourselves and everything comes from him. And so we start off with that first and best 10% and that's our, it's, it's like a financial Sabbath is what that is. So maybe that's for you. It's like, okay, this is it. I need to begin to trust God in this way and acknowledge that he is my sustainer. Some of you just need to take a walk. Some of you need to get off Instagram for like five minutes and, and not post anything, and not put, put your life out to people. Somebody, somebody described it this way. They were talking about how in every moment they're always posting stuff online. And the way this guy put it is he said, he said I'm constantly prostituting my moments. And I was like, ow, that's, that hits, doesn't it? Like, I'm constantly prostituting my, like, here I am with my wife, selfie, here I am with my kid, sel-, and it's like, and it's okay, you know, I take a selfie too, but once in a while, what if that moment is just for you, or it's just for your, just for your marriage, it's just for you and your daughter, just for you and a couple of friends, what if that moment is just for you, so stop putting it out there for maybe just a day, whatever it is, but I want us to get in a rhythm, a consistent rhythm of resting to remember what God has done for us. Because that's what it was for them, right? He says, I've rescued you out of slavery. Why would you walk back into slavery? And as believers, we have the same story, don't we? And their story is our story. We are enslaved to our sin, enslaved to our hopelessness, enslaved to the lies that we believe. Jesus rescues up us out of slavery, right? And liberates our souls. And so that's what Sabbath is all about is remembering what Jesus has done and honoring the one who is the source of our liberation, right? And his name is Jesus. That's what we do every single week is we give it back to Jesus. So Sabbath, super important. Uh, Next question. It's going to get fun. You ready? What is God's view on cannabis? I use it for chronic back pain, and I know it's legal, but I want to know what the Bible says about it. First off, I want to honor this person for wanting to know what the Bible says about it, right? I mean, far too often things get sort of given to us or legalized or whatever, and we go, well, if it's legal, it must be good. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Can I just say that? There's a lot of, it's, it's, it's legal to have an affair. Not good, right? There's a lot of things that are legal that are not good for you. And so how do we look at this? What do we do about, because this is a big deal in Alaska. If you're watching online, you may not know it's legalized in Alaska, and the first thing that we have to do, since all of your at- attention's all perked up, is, uh, especially for you who are under the age of 21, uh, we go back to Romans 13. And some of you know what Romans 13 is about. It's about us honoring, honoring the governing authorities that are placed above us. 
That we live in a country with laws that we live under and as God's people who are called to be different and distinct, we are to honor the laws of the land that we live in, right? So if you are under the age of 21, you don't even need to worry about this because it's not okay, right? It's not legal, so you don't even need to think about it or wrestle with this. You can zone out and uh, play some Candy Crush for a few minutes. But for the rest of us who are going to try to figure this out, the first thing I want you to know is that this is not a political talk. I'm not trying to make a political point here. I'm just trying to bring you to Jesus, okay? So that's important for you to understand. And we can actually disagree about this, by the way. Um, And and you can talk to me about this after if you want. But um, the first thing we need to acknowledge is that there are a couple different sides of this conversation when it comes to cannabis in our culture. The the first is the medicinal side, and the other side is the recreational side. And I actually believe that it's important for us to understand them both from a biblical perspective. A little side note for a minute. If you're here and you're like, Brian, I don't smoke weed, and I'm not a parent of a teenager. Why does this matter? It matters. Because there's a deep biblical principle that is at the base of all of this. And so... For the medicinal side of things, I want to talk about it like this because I actually believe, and you can disagree with me, that there is a place for the believer when it comes to the medicinal usage of, of this drug or other drugs. Uh, so for me, uh, just full disclosure, I have never smoked weed. Again, not a political statement. Nobody paid me to say that. I've just never done it. I've had friends who did, but it's just never been a thing that I've gotten into. But um, and just drugs, drugs are never really a huge temptation for me personally. Um, but a few years ago, I got my wisdom teeth out. And I got home, and I was just in terrible, terrible pain. And so they gave me Vicodin. Anybody ever taken Vicodin before? I was watching cartoons, and I was, I was in another world for like 48 hours. I kid you not. And I've never, I'd never done anything like that before, but it was a prescribed drug. And let me just tell you, I was anything but sober for, for like 48 hours. And when it all wore off and kind of the pain started subsiding a little bit and I got better, here's the thing that scared me. Um, I kind of liked it. I'm just throwing that out there. I, I kind of liked it. For, for a few minutes, I was like, oh, that was kind of fun. And then I, all my alarms started going off in my mind. I'm like, that's, that's why this becomes such a damaging thing for people. Uh, Some of you in this room, uh, either personally or family members, have had your lives torn apart by some kind of controlled substance like this, right? And so I I think it all falls underneath the same umbrella of like, what do we do with this stuff? And so here's what I want to admit is that some things that you're prescribed today would make you more numb than even cannabis would, right? And so for some of you, there is a medicinal, I believe, benefit to this. Um, I'm just going to say that personally. When my wife's dad was diagnosed with cancer a few years ago, uh, we entered into this journey of studying uh, both uh, the medical side of things as well as the biblical side of things because I'm a pastor. And I want to have opinions about this stuff, especially if as a family, like we're kind of wrestling with these topics and what to do uh, with treatments. And so we really wrestled through this from a biblical and a a medical perspective. Um, And so you're going to have to wrestle through it as well. But it comes back to really this question, why are you doing it? That, that's really kind of the core of this. Why are you doing what you are doing? Here's 2 Corinthians 4. It says this. And this is speaking about the world that's around us and people that uh, don't follow Jesus and don't, um, don't follow God. It says this. In their case, the God of this world, being the devil, who I don't know if you know this, is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light 
of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So when the Bible talks about us being in sin, it actually correlates it to like being blind. It's like we're kind of walking through life in like a drunken stupor. We don't really see things for what they are. We don't see with clarity who we are as humans and who God is as our creator. And so he says the God of this world has blinded them. They can't see the light for what it is. And here's what we believe about knowing Jesus is that saying yes to Jesus is saying yes to an awakening. The goal is that as we, as people, is that we are wide awake to life, fully aware of the world that's going on around us. We believe that when you follow Jesus, the spirit of God actually comes inside of you, which is just pretty incredible. And and that spirit, he's going to speak to us and guide us and give us clarity in life, and he's going to have us kind of understand the scriptures better and and show us how to serve people better and and prompt our hearts to say things and do things in a different way. And and if we're not aware of what's going on around us, we're not going to follow the Spirit. And if we're sort of walking through life in a haze, pun intended, we're not going to be able to follow Jesus' guidance in our lives. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, speaking about how um, all of these temptations to be uh, separated and, and uh, to, to be drunken in the world. It says this, So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. <laughs> Some of you are like, false. I've been drunk during the day. So, uh, that's not what this is saying. That is not the point. What he's saying is that we're to be different than the world around us, and we need to be aware that the end is, is actually coming. And Jesus' message to the world was, hey, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. Get ready. Get ready. The kingdom is near. That's what Jesus kept saying over and over again. And he's like, there are people around you who are sort of sleepwalking through life. They're, they're not aware of what's going on. They're just trying to kind of numb themselves to the pain that's in them. They're, they're hoping to just experience what they can for now, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, right? So that's how a lot of people see the world. And he's saying, no, no, no. There's a different way to live. He says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Translation, becoming numb is like being disarmed. Becoming numb and drunk to what's going on around you is like being disarmed. It's like you can't be protected from what's happening around you. can't see things for what they truly are. And so again, we, we're, we're talking about this from a medicinal side. And we're like, okay, so we have to acknowledge that there may be a place where that's okay, but you've got to deal with why are you doing it? Are you escaping from something? You're finding yourself, well, the pain from whatever I was treating is actually gone, but I'm continuing in this. And, and I've had friends who have asked me as a pastor, Brian, I, I, a friend said I should try this. I've got back pain. I'm dealing with something. Um, and I've always told them a few things. First, you need to tell someone else that you're trying it and have some accountability. You need to set a date for when you're going to stop and reassess whether you're going to continue using it or not. Uh, and you need to be aware of how it's affecting you and why you're doing it. I mean, if you're honest with yourself and you're like, honestly, I just kind of, I just want to separate from my life because... Uh, it just hurts. It hurts to be aware of what's going on. And so um, if, if that's what you're doing, I just want you to know that's not, um, that's not the goal. That's not what Jesus has for you, which actually leads us into the next thing of this, which is recreational usage. Like, can we smoke weed to the glory of God? That's, that's the question, right? 
Is that even possible? And here's what I want to do. I don't want to fall off either side of this cliff because the mistake churches often make is either adding rules to the Bible in order to protect people or carelessly embracing sin and calling it grace. That's what churches do a lot of time. And I don't want to fall on either side of that. I don't want to make rules because I'm afraid that you're going to screw this up or I'm going to screw this up. And I also don't want to carelessly embrace sin and call, oh, Jesus loves me and he's giving me grace for this and so it's going to be fine. That's us cheapening the grace of God and we don't want to do that. So this is really important. So what about kind of the recreational side of things? What happens a lot of times is that people compare it to alcohol. Like, well, if if Christians can drink, which I think that there is a, a place for alcohol in certain situations for certain people where it can be okay to drink. And that's, that's something that's okay. okay. Is it the same with, with cannabis and with, with weed? Is it actually the same thing? I'm going to tell you right now, no, it's not. I don't think it's the same. And you, again, you can argue with me after church. I'm totally fine with you disagreeing with me. But I do not think that there is a place for recreational usage of weed for the believer in Jesus. And here's why. I'm going to give you a little explanation. I did a little research this week because I think people do compare the two, alcohol and marijuana. And, and the research I read said that for your average adult, you are um, legally inebriated after typically four to five drinks, okay? So you can have a drink, most people, depending on your size and stature, you can have a drink or two and be very aware, uh, very, you know, aware of the conversation. You can be somebody who is awake and aware, which is what we're called to do as Christians. But there is a point where that falls off, isn't there, right? There's a point where the conversation is upgrading and then it starts degrading, Right? And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, no, this is not helping anymore. Um, and so that's how you know, okay, we've fallen off the other side of this. Um, we've walked into drunkenness, which is not something that's, uh, that's, something that's good for us, something that uh, the Bible says is okay. And so, but then when it comes to cannabis, uh, the, the average person is inebriated after three to four drags, uh, which I don't know how that equates to brownies or whatever they're putting it in, but three to four drags from a joint the average, so this isn't something that you're sitting around for hours sort of enjoying with your friends and you're completely awake and aware and uh, just, you're not sober for very long at all. I mean, it's, it's pretty quick that you go from somebody who's awake and aware to somebody who is inebriated and intoxicated, right? And so again, we have to go like, are they the same? I'm going to say they're not the same. I think they're very, very different. Um, and if you're here today and you're like, man, I, is this something that applies to this group? Listen, um, the growing population of, of users in uh, Alaska of cannabis are people in their 40s and 50s. So this is not something that's just for teenagers right now. And beyond that, here's what I'm going to say to everybody in the room, is that you are numbing yourself with something. Okay? You are numbing yourself. with. Everybody has a temptation to be numbed with something, whether it be binging on Netflix when the marriage isn't going well, Right? Or, or buying something on Amazon when you feel bad about yourself. I mean, everybody finds themselves giving themselves to something to get away from things. It's running to the keen eye when work stinks, right? It's using an Xbox to escape having meaningful, meaningful conversations. Whatever it may be, like, we numb ourselves to keep ourselves from reality with a variety of different things. And here's what I want you to know is that God doesn't want you to escape from life's challenges. He wants to meet you smack dab in the middle of them. God doesn't want you to escape life's challenges. And again, we can talk about medical treatment and stuff, full supporter of medical treatment for different things. There are certain branches or um, thought 
processes in Christians where they don't even think that medical uh, uh, treatment is a good thing. I believe it's a very good thing. But at the same time, that we should be people who seek to be awake and fully aware, but different and distinct from the world around us, okay? That we aren't numbing ourselves to pain, numbing ourselves to what's going on, but believing that God actually wants to meet you right in the middle of your broken marriage. That God actually wants to meet you right in the middle of your financial crisis. And the only way that you can be aware of what he's doing around you is that you are sober, that you can hear him, that you can be aware of what's happening. And so listen, if you're here today and you're like, man, I smoke a lot of weed, there is grace. And, and I, th- I think God wants to work through um, your situation. And he wants to heal you. But understand that I think that God wants something better for you. He wants to call you to be fully awake and fully aware of what's going on around you. Well, that was fun. Let's move on. Okay. I'm going to get some emails. I just know it. All right. Next question. If God knew how things were going to go, even before time began, why would he do it? That's a really good question. Why would he create us and this world with the knowledge that it's going to be burnt up and many people aren't going to heaven? Now, this, this goes deep, doesn't it? I mean, we get into the sovereignty of God, and man, this goes, it goes really deep. I want to start off with, with this, um, a little bit of just talking about how things are going to end. Like, what, what does the end actually look like? And the end of the world, and like, how's it all going to show up? And that's a huge conversation, but um, the term that we use in the church is the term eschatology. Everybody say eschatology. That's simply the study of the end. That's all it is. It's the study of end things. And I want to go to 2 Peter chapter 3. If you have a Bible, open up to 2 Peter chapter 3. Or you can scroll if you want. Totally cool with that. Scroll in your Bible. 2 Peter chapter 3.11 is, is one of the references to this type of uh, apocalyptic language of burning up and, you know, how's this all going to end? And it's really important that we understand this for what it actually is. And so in this text, Peter's making it clear that the end is coming, but we just don't know when it's coming, Okay. That's really important for you to know. Again, the end is coming. We don't know when the end is coming, so don't believe the next thing in the tabloids or on the internet that says they figured out the date and time when Jesus is returning. You don't know, and we were never meant to know. But it says this in verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, which is simply a way of saying things will not continue as they are. That's one thing you can know here today, is that this world will not continue as it is forever. It says, what sort of people ought you to be? This is essentially this person's question. Uh, you know, the, things are all just going to burn out. Like, what, what kind of people should we be? Why does it matter? Here's what it says. In lives of holiness and godliness. Okay. So since things are going to change, they, they aren't going to be as they currently are, we are to live lives of holiness and godliness. And holiness just simply means to be set apart, to be different, to be distinct and to be different. That's what we're talking about all morning long. Verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Okay, so the language here is very debative about fire and burning, and what does this mean? Is this a literal, like, fire, the world's just going to burn up on fire? Um, in the Bible, the, the idea of fire means purification, 
So will it just be sort of a purging of the evil from the world? I do believe that there's, that that's going to happen. That in the end, with the new heaven and the new earth, that everything evil, everything unjust, will be actually excommunicated from the world. And what will be left is the kingdom of God, the reign of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so those who want a God, those who want to submit to the authority of God, will continue in his kingdom. And those who do not want to be under the authority of God will not continue to be in his kingdom. And so he speaks about this new heaven and new earth. This is a really important thing to know about kind of the end of days and the end of your existence or whatever, is that you don't continue on as a believer to live in heaven for eternity. Is that Jesus returns to establish his reign and rule on earth as it is in heaven. So you will exist for eternity as a believer in Jesus on a glorified earth in a glorified body. And it's going to be awesome. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be. I think there's going to be lots of like salmon fishing and four-wheeling and it's just going to be incredible. I, I don't know what it's going to be like, but it's going to be this perfect version of what we currently experience. And, and I'm really excited about that when I think about that. So in the end, things are going to change. They will be dissolved. They won't continue like they are. But in the end, this person's question is, what's the point of it all? Like, if it's all just going to burn, what's the point? And this is really important that we understand what God's plan for the world is. What is God's ultimate plan for the world? God's ultimate plan for the world is restoration. That's what it is. The ultimate plan for the world is restoration. This new heaven, the new earth, where the righteousness of God will dwell. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 21. That's the classic passage of the new heaven and new earth. Luke 17, Jesus talks about the reign and rule of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so all this language... We see all over the place this idea that God is a, is a restoring God. He's a healing God. He wants to restore what's broken in the world. And here's why this really matters. It, it really matters that you understand what's coming because people with a poor theology of tomorrow make little difference in the world today. When you understand, when you think, man, it's just all going to burn, it's all just going to end, you know, what's the point of it all? There's no reason to do anything today, is there, right? Let's just... Let's just work till we die and smoke a lot of weed, right? If that's, that's going to be a soundbite somebody steals off my sermon and they're just going to put that all over the internet. The things that come in my mind when I'm preaching. Anyway, we need to understand what is coming so that we see the value in today. Um, the thing that we find, listen, the thing that people fall into is something called fatalism. And fatal, fatalism is just the belief that what will be will be. None of it matters. What's the point of it all? Why do anything, Right? Like, why invest in your marriage if, if we're all, it's, the end of everything is death, right? Why, why try to be a good parent if the end of th everything is death? Why, did, why take care of your body if the end of everything is death? But listen, here's what Jesus came to proclaim, is that there can be resurrection. Jesus came, died, and was resurrected to model for us what's coming for those who know Jesus. And the end of those who know Jesus is not death, it's life, and life to the full. And that's what we actually proclaim every single week, and that's what I want to offer to you every single week, is that Jesus actually wants something better for you, right? You're working your fingers to the bone. You're not resting. You're not stopping. You're anxious. You're overwhelmed with life. You can't deal with the finances. You can't keep up with all the junk that you own. Listen, Jesus wants you to rest. He wants you to be distinct and to be different, right? You're here today, and you've numbed yourself to life. You've got a lot of problems. You've got a lot of struggles, right? You're dealing with all of these things coming at you so you've numbed yourself. Jesus has something better for you, to, for you to be wide awake, 
to, to reality, wide awake to life, to be distinct and different, to be wide awake and to be living for something that's to come, the new heaven, the new earth, that actually what you do today has the ability to continue on into eternity. This man, N.T. Wright, he says it this way. I want you to listen to this. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sowing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable, until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may, be, may call the building for God's kingdom. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or of music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow non-human creatures, and of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. That is the logic of the mission of God. And that is why we exist. If you've ever wondered why does ACF exist, that's why we exist. We actually believe that what we do right here and right now has the power to continue on into eternity. And although all that is will be dissolved, things will change. Jesus will return to right everything that's wrong in the world. We still have the ability to, to do things and say things that will make an impact that could change the trajectory of someone's life. And that's why we do what we do every single week. It's so cool that Jesus actually allows us to do this. I mean, it's amazing that God doesn't just do it on his own, but he actually says, I want to use you as my agents of grace to the world. You see, Jesus actually makes us partners in God's redemptive process. He says, I want to I partner with you. I want you to be part of this journey of healing and restoring. And I know it's dark and I know it's broken, but it's still, there's still a reason to continue to wake up every single morning because what you do will continue on into the future and into eternity. So listen, when you rest well, when you actually take a break, you show the world a God who sustains, a God who's more than enough for us. When you resist numbing yourself, you show people what can happen when a father is fully present with his children and when a friend actually listens. I mean, you show people what it looks like to be aware and awake and when you serve others, you show people an even better world to come. You show people a world that, that's absent from all of this selfishness, all of this deceit, all of the hatred. And so listen, I don't know where you're at today, but I know you have some questions. I know you have questions because I know that you don't always do what God says to do, right? Which is always a sign that we don't really believe him. Or we've still got some questions that are left to be answered. I want you to continue to ask your questions. I want you to dig in deep because for some of you, these questions are keeping you from following Jesus. And listen, if your questions are keeping you from following Jesus, you would better find some good answers to those questions. Not, not, not just what you want to hear, not what people want to tell you, but you better find the, the right answers and good answers for questions that are keeping you from following Jesus. 
Because far too often people are like, man, there's just this thing that I could never get an answer out of. I could never deal with this one issue, whether it be with the church or with the Bible or with God. Listen, you need to talk to people about it. Talk to me, talk to a pastor, talk to a life group leader. You need to wrestle through those things because here's what I know. There are some really good answers out there. It may not be what you want to hear. It may not make your problems go away, but there are really great answers. So continue to seek, continue to ask, to continue to knock, and God, I believe, will reveal himself to all of you. So would you stand up? And I want to give you a chance. If even today you're just like, Man, Brian, I've let my questions keep me from Jesus, and and maybe you would make the decision to trust him today. I want to give you a chance to do this. So can we just bow our heads for a moment, and let's pray together. God, I know that I've still got a lot of questions. And there are some things that I know that I might not have clarity about in this life. Yeah, God, I just remember the moment where Despite my questions, I put my hope and my faith in you. And and the glory of Jesus was so bright. It was brighter than all of my struggles. It was brighter than all of my questions. It was brighter than all of my hurts and and hang-ups. And so, God, I want to pray for the person in this room here today who's got some questions, who showed up to church and doesn't really know what to do next, that they'd be able to put their faith and their hope in Jesus. God, thank you so much that, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, the life. We know that we can't come to the Father except for through you, and so today we come to you and submit our lives to you. We want you to work in us. God, would you give clarity where there's confusion? Would you give grace where there is a sense of judgment? And would you help people to know you and to love you today? And God, today as we worship the next few moments in this gymnasium, could we just open our hearts to you, God? You are so worthy and so good. We are stopping for just a short period together as a community to declare to the city of Eagle River that there is a God who loves us, who sustains us. And so God, could we just give you our very best in these moments? We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your grace. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.